welcome to episode 9 of Conversations That Matter, the podcast. My name is Holly Reed, and I will be hosting today's episode with occupational therapist Anna Brownitzer and Tanel Bolt, who is the founder of RAD Recreation Adapted Society, better known as RAD Society. Today, we will be talking about branching away from the medical model and toward thinking about occupations beyond basic self-care. As the pandemic continues to disrupt our way of life, we can reflect on how COVID has changed individual and societal level awareness of how spaces are designed and used. All three of us on the podcast today reside in BC, Anna and Tanel on the unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples, known today as the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. And I'm on the unceded Wissanich lands, although we hope that elements of the discussion today are relevant across the country. Anna is an occupational therapist in community-based private practice who loves spending her time outdoors, playing on adventures with friends, and connecting with nature. She met Tanel at a training session about seating and transfers in outdoor recreation and started volunteering with RAD Recreation Adapted Society in 2021. Tanel Bolt is an expert consultant in barrier-free design and recreation, combining seven years of lived experience as a wheelchair user with education and experience in interior design and building. She is the founder of RAD Recreation Adapted Society. RAD's mission is to create opportunities and remove barriers for individuals living with mobility issues to maintain healthy, active, independent lifestyles through access to outdoors, regardless of financial circumstance. So welcome to both of you, Anna and Tanel. I'm happy to have you here with us today. To start us off, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what it means to branch away from the medical model. With the medical model, it's more of a reactive model and it's really focusing on like fix it when it's broken. And I'm saying it and it's because the medical model often views injuries as injuries, not the people who have injuries or the human side of things there. It's really the focus on what's broken and assuming brokenness um, when people are disabled. Um, when we think about like how we can help as OTs, we're often thinking about like what, why can't the person do these things that they want to do or need to do? And um, we're learning instead of like learning about what a person wants and needs to do, what they could access through doing, where they might be able to develop their skills, like what possibilities are out there um, to collaborate with them. And what we, when we are outside the mod- medical model, like we can't really do those alone. We can't be like we can't be like here's a prescription. Like the medical model is very prescriptive. But when we branch away from the medical model, we realize that we really need to have that partnership with people um, to understand what their life's actually like and what they value doing and what would bring them well-being and what they want to do. So um, with RAD, now do you want to talk about what we do with RAD? (laughs) So RAD is really focused on those youth and adults that live in the too ably disabled world were too able to fit within the medical model of you know your basic needs are covered you can get from work to home and have a basic life but if you do want to continue to recreate then the price tag of that recreation um you know, you need a p- different piece of adaptive equipment to play tennis, to go for a hike, to go for a bike ride, to go for a ski, to go swimming. Um, all of this stuff is cost is is very costly as well as takes up a lot of space. Uh, you have to be 
sometimes a mechanic in order to fix these devices. And so RAD provides this program where we share this adaptive recreation equipment. It lives in places like the bike shop and is taken care of by somebody else and shared amongst the community for people to try something before they buy it, continue to play their way with their friends and family where they're comfortable. Um, it's something else to be included in an organization that is there to include people in the outdoors or you know, this physical and mental well-being promotion outside with an inclusive group but it's, you know, you're being included in a group of people with disabilities. You are no longer included with the people that you've grown up with your whole life. Um, yeah, so RAD is Adaptive Outdoor Recreation Awareness and Availability of Equipment for people to play their way and share. Yeah, I think like the other thing that I love about what RAD does is if we think about the medical model and how we are in clinics, um, one piece that Chanel really touches on there is how we're often limited within insurance systems from a private practice perspective or within a hospital from my earlier experience in a hospital to the occupations that we can focus on and oftentimes leisure is completely off the table when really it brings so much to a person's quality of life and well-being. Um, not only that is like in the medical model um, in Holly we've talked about this before like with other organizations but um, how oftentimes a clinician is positioned as a person in power and the patient is the person that is seeking help. And oftentimes in the medical model, it views disabled people as, pe as people who are broken or who are patients. The medical model paints this view of people not as peers, but as people that need to be cared for which creates these like pity narratives and can really be dehumanizing. Whereas um, disrupting the net medical model is like looking at disabled people as change makers, like Tanel with RAD, as researchers, as peers, as friends and professionals. And so as occupational therapists, we know the value of leisure occupations and different occupations for people's well-being, even if we can't necessarily do it in our, say, our professional practice or in our, um, like what we get paid for, we can always look at ways to collaborate and reach out and make those connections and just meet people and see how can we make and contribute to our society and our community in ways that more people can do what they want to do and need to do within our, like, that's like our professional mandate. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you've both said, because it's something that I personally hadn't necessarily thought about before. Tanel, I think you said when people who are too ably disabled, like they're they're beyond the point of maybe needing like immediate medical attention and they're, they're what would be considered basic human needs are met, but they're not really because leisure is part of something that we all have the right to do, we all need to do. And yes, it's gonna look a little bit different for people who have a disability, but that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be, it, sh it shouldn't not be addressed at all just for that reason. Um, so I think it's really cool that you talk about the resources that there are and the programs and building that community of people who maybe all experience a disability to a different extent, but it's a community where they can come together and all engage in a, in a shared activity um, based on what they need. So I think that's really interesting. And the other piece was um, the medical model focusing on brokenness and how it's all deficit based rather than um, in occupational therapy and in other areas, we try and take more of a strengths-based approach and drawing on the resources that the individual does have. Um, and so if 
rad society is able to provide these resources and the person knows that there's they have these strengths and it all comes together and then they can participate that sounds like a, a lot better than just trying to meet basic self-care needs um, mm -hmm. so do you have anything else to add on that before we head into the question talking about language that's used about abilities and disabilities the ability to give kids role models that aren't just paralympians there's that whole in between you know the physical literacy in people to go and want to choose a sport that they enjoy not having only access to one so that's the one that you do kind of um, you know being introduced to equipment that you've never tried before and then that's the one that you're owning so uh, yeah the opportunity for adults to be role models to kids is neat and to keep you know I've had the same adaptive piece of equipment used for a 12 year old boy as for a 76 year old man who had just lost a leg and everywhere in between one one piece of equipment yeah and i think like relatedly like that relates to how in the medical model we had like these narratives of overcoming disability um when really it's overcoming ableism and can we switch those to narratives of living well with disability and like disability pride like disability isn't a bad thing being disabled doesn't mean that you can't do things oftentimes like in the medical models being able to like oh they're disabled so they can't do this but really they can and people can do it as a disabled person like i also have lived experiences disabled while well, mine were invisible disabilities i had chronic pain for a few years but people was like oh you can't do that let me do that for you and it's like, well, I can't actually do that. It just takes me more time or I'm going to be <laughs> maybe like lifting it slightly differently or getting some of the resources. Just like recognize that disabled doesn't mean people can't do things. We can do things and we can do things and we learn lots of things as well. I'm reading this book right now and it's called Care Work and it's about dreaming disability justice and it's all about like communities coming together to care for each other. And I think it's also recognizing like like Tanel, like I was just moving Holly and um, I was like, Tanel, I need your help. <laughs> Please help me <laughs> with all my furniture because Tanel's really great at organizing. And I'm like, I know she's going to be great at this. Like we we're just kind of laughing about it. And Tanel, feel free to hop in as well. But I was like, there's no way I can do this alone. And that's one of my great friends. So I'm like, Tell, please help. <laughs> and she could help. So. But also funny in the eyes of the rest of the household that's all able-bodied. They're like, as if Anna asked the girl in the wheelchair to come and take apart furniture. And I was like, I know how to use the tools. I come with my own set. I was like, I'm the best person to take apart IKEA furniture. It's like, wheelchair or not. <laughs> yeah, like we all have things that we can offer each other to contribute to each other's lives. And it's not like assuming like oftentimes healthcare professionals and medical model positioned as heroes, but and the ones who are helping, but it's recognizing like anybody can help if you ask. So Rad likes to do things where we get all the people together to do, participate in really long bike rides that normal people think are ridiculous except endurance athletes love and we'll go for hours and kilometers and kilometers but it was two paraplegics a blind man and an amputee and we went for 21 kilometers on saturday just this past saturday and like there's really only one trail that we can ride fluidly the whole way we we're so fortunate to have that and things like that so what is it about leisure activities do you think that brings 
people together and feels like a different community than like a peer support group based on like having a certain disability or other places where people try and build these communities and it's just really doesn't have the same feel. I would account it to recreation draws on the same type of qualities in a person. When you find people outside doing activities, your endorphins are raised, you're, you know, um, you get some vitamin D, <laughs> sunshine's really good for you. It's, you know, come outside for some fresh air and some exercise and then decide if you need to go home. And, you know, there's a lot of addictions and substance use in people with disabilities because we are put on all of these crazy narcotics when trauma happens in whatever fashion, like mental trauma or physical trauma. And so just outdoors and community and, you know, especially with COVID and this is leading into the last question, but with COVID it's been, it hasn't affected the rad mandate of independent adaptive participation in the outdoors. We can always be outside six, thank goodness we live in Canada. We can always be outside six feet apart, no problem recreating. Um, we definitely have to get our blind guy a bib that says blind runner. So he stops getting mean mugged and almost hit by people coming the other way. Cause he's following the center line. They just don't know that he can't see them. And he's a huge rowing athlete. It's just, uh, an incredible place to be in right now because people are becoming aware of the world around them and the limitations and barriers that can be put on you and they're seeing the world and people around them which is including disability more and more for me i think like what it is about leisure compared to say like self-care or homemaking or just like living with a disability in general is we really get to connect over our shared interests so I might not like all hobbies and if, if putting together, say like a group, a peer group, support group for disabled people, those definitely have their place, um, but they might not be, one person might like gaming, one person might like outdoors activities, one person might like art. So it might not all be connecting over a shared occupation. Um, whereas if we're like, oh, you like to ride bikes. I like to ride bikes. Okay, let's go for a bike ride. Um, it's less about, oh, you're a disabled person. I'm an able-bodied person currently. And it's more, oh, we'd love to ride bikes. Let's just go outside and enjoy the joint adventure. Or let's like have a paint night or let's have a board games night. It's more centered around for people doing this activity together and our common humanity and our common interests. Um, and it's less about whether we're disabled or not. Um, to now you kind of were getting onto what our last question is about. So I want to revisit that because I think there's a lot that that would be important for people to hear about from both the disability perspective and also like the COVID perspective, because that's not necessarily going away as fast as we thought it was going to. And so the awareness that's been gained from COVID has been helpful, um, but I don't want to lead the question too much, so I'm just going to ask it to you. So it's unavo unavoidable at this point that COVID has impacted how we use spaces and how spaces are accessed. Um, so how has it played into the way that we're seeing specific spaces being used and maybe how disabilities are perceived and experienced? The benefits of COVID don't outweigh the negatives, but there have been many for the disabled community and wheelchair accessibility specifically. Uh, six feet between tables 
is an incredible distance where I'm able to go out in public now with a group of friends who may have different abilities and mobility aids and we are not in anybody's way anymore. We can enter a restaurant and actually dine together, get to the washroom without, excuse me, coming through, pick up your purse, pull your chair in, your jacket's hanging on the floor. Um, doors that were previously never propped open, fire regulations, heating bill, cooling bill, we had all a plethora of excuses as to why we had a heavy door to open, propped wide open with COVID, so nobody had to touch the doors. Uh, parking, just overall accessibility when there's less people around is kind of nice with a wheelchair. Cleanliness is another one. Public spaces are pretty dirty, and as a wheelchair user, we have uh, touched a lot of surfaces that we maybe don't want to. And so now, especially in public restrooms and things, you know that surfaces have been at least attended to sometime that day, you're hoping. Uh, everybody's more aware of their germs. And in stores, with the limitations on the number of people that are in them, I have not been tripped on or over with somebody sort of backing up unknowingly of who's behind them in two years. So that's been another pleasant surprise of they don't want the germs. So they're a little bit more aware and checking out the spaces around themselves as they move. For selfish reasons or not, they're paying a little more attention. Yeah, I think so now like we were talking a bit about also how like how rats designed to be like pandemic proof. RAD having an inventory of equipment that's provided to independent, active individuals allows us to do short-term introductions and showcases of adaptive equipment to people where now that I have a second piece of adaptive equipment, I can show them from a safe distance how to use things. They can take them away put them in their own vehicle because that's the whole point is the independence part. So, um, you know, have them sanitized appropriately and they go away with their friends and family. They're now said bubble. Uh, this has always been the mandate of RAD. I had no intention in the past of doing group activities. That has since morphed and we're um, getting to host our first retreat in this next year for women in a recreational retreat. So that's pretty exciting. But it was never intended to be a group activity thing, independent adaptive recreation. Um, come and get your piece of equipment and take it and play your way. And that can be sanitized. It can be set outside for two days and you can come and get it of your own accord. If you've used it before, um, you know, sign your waiver and pay your nominal fee so that you bring it back to me in a decent state. And yeah, go enjoy, go enjoy your life with your bubble, pandemic proof. Yeah, I like that, pandemic proof. I don't think there's very many things that can claim to be pandemic proof right now, but the fact that it's outside and all, for all the reasons that you both have mentioned, I think there's just so much value. I can't say enough good things about recreational activities and how important they are for mental health, physical health, like you said, to now getting outside. Um, community or independence, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I think it's wonderful. So what would be like the takeaway messages that you would hope people get from this conversation today about the medical model, disabilities, 
recreational activities. Disability isn't a bad word. We are adapting to the way we live now and chances are, you know, there are some people that have had it their whole lives, but there are a lot of us who have not and it's new and nobody is exempt from a physical deterioration in themselves. Yeah, just nobody's exempt and we all like to play outside our way and it's better for your health and your neighbor's health and your whole family's health and your mental health and your physical health and recreation goes a long way. So, and it is a human right. Yeah, I think um, my one takeaways is like, we're all human and what we need to do when we work with our clients or when we work with, when we just like hang out with our friends, like we're all human. We can't do things alone. We need each other, um, whether we like to think so or not. <laughs> There's like, I don't know if either of you have watched the movie Encanto um, yet on Disney, but there's Louisa. And um, I definitely relate to that character. Like me growing up, a lot of Louisa in me. And I think it's really like, we can ask for help. It doesn't make us less strong. Like, there's always this perception of like, as humans, we need to be the strong or we need to be like the ones that can do everything, but we don't. And we can ask for help and we can ask anyone for help. Disabled doesn't mean to, need to mean that people can't do something. There are different ways of doing. Sometimes things take more time and we can have flexibility in our structures and how we do things so that we can all do things together. I love that. So thank you both again for sharing all that. That went by really quickly. Um, so if you have any last things you'd like to add, feel free. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, we will sign off. Could we add a little plug for Rad Polar Plunge? <laughs> sure, feel free. Okay, go to Nell because you know more about it than I do right now. Uh, okay, our next event is actually virtual and it went virtual because of COVID. So that was a pretty cool growth in a society that was very much in-person fundraising and that's been how it's grown for the first five years. Anyways, virtual polar plunge Saturday, February 19th. Also, in person on Frozen Lake Windermere where we cut a big hole in the Frozen Lake and people jump in it. And then we have a redneck hot tub beside it uh, with hay bales and hot water. Uh, we do like hot dog roast and spirits and uh, fire pits all over the lake and a big shindig. Well, that one raised a little bit of money and then the last year's virtual event raised three times as much money so we're going to couple them this year and see how that goes but that's coming up february saturday the 19th sounds cold but also fun and interesting <laughs> and www.radsociety.ca is where you go to find the event registry Tanel and Anna, I just wanted to thank you again for being on the podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your insights. Thanks, Holly. Thank you, Holly. Lastly, I just wanted to mention that if you are interested in being on the podcast, please reach out to practice at caot.ca.